During its heyday, Hopar Villa was one of Singapore's hottest attractions, drawing around a million visitors every year. But Hopar Villa, it's not quite your average amusement park. Walk through the grounds of this storied Singapore attraction, and what you won't see are Ferris wheels or clowns or, I don't know, fried dough stands. Instead, everywhere you turn, there are statues. Fantastic, enigmatic, slightly terrifying statues. I would say it's akin to walking through an Asian version of Alice in Wonderland. There's a crab with a human head. There's a turtle serving tea to a deer. There is a pool of frolicking mermaids. But the park's most infamous attraction is the Ten Courts of Hell, which depicts in pretty graphic detail the horrible fate awaiting you in the afterlife should you commit bad behavior here on Earth. Most people find the place spooky and scary. Uh, Some even say that they were traumatized for many years to come when they visited it during their childhood. I'm Dylan Thuris, and this is Atlas Obscura, a celebration of the world's strange, incredible, and wondrous places. Today, we're visiting hell by way of Ho Par Villa. It's the story of one family, their fortune, and their tragedy. That's after this. If you're looking for a place where the wide-open skies and the towering mountains inspire you to find an untapped part of yourself. You might want to take a trip to Wyoming. It's a place where bold, curious spirits forge their own way on all types of adventures. There is no shortage of iconic, expansive landscapes out there. You can discover breathtaking hikes, stunning state parks, authentic Western culture, and other historic sites— along with the tales of famous outlaws like Butch Cassidy and pioneers like Buffalo Bill Cody. The truth lies west. Discover yours at TravelWyoming.com. If you grew up in the United States, you might have visited Disney World as a kid, maybe hugged a cartoon mouse or seen the Hall of Presidents. But Savita Koshiap had a different experience. For her and so many other kids in Singapore, there was Ho Par Villa. And most memorably, it's 10 Courts of Hell. Just seeing the scenes of gore and blood, you know, uh, bodies being mashed up or boiling in hot oil and uh, people being thrown on stakes, um, you know, we'd frighten each other. My brother, my sisters and I, um, you know, by making scary noises inside uh the Ten Courts, which was like a cave. But Savita says that the statues didn't really faze her. But, you know, they would just look so outlandish and so um, and strange and weird that I didn't think there was anything to be scared of. And we're talking to Savita today because she is now the executive director of the company that operates Hopar Villa. And she wants to introduce a new generation to the dioramas that captivated her as a kid. But to understand Hopar Villa and how it came to be, you have to meet two brothers, Obun Ho and Obun Par. Boon Ho and Boon Par were born in the 1880s in Rangoon, Burma, what's today Myanmar. And their father owned a small herbal shop. And after he died, they took over the business, and they really honed in on developing one 
particular topical ointment that their dad had invented. It could relieve all kinds of aches and pains. They called it Tiger Balm. If you've ever used Tiger Balm, you know what Tiger Balm is. And it really, really took off. And by the early 1920s, uh, they had turned their father's humble medicinal business into an internationally renowned uh, business empire. They were quintessential Chinese tycoons of the early 20th century. That's Aizen Teo, and Aizen works at the park with Savita, and he's one of the historical researchers studying the park. Aizen explained that by the 1930s, the two brothers had moved to Singapore, but that the younger brother, Boon Par, was homesick for Burma. So his older brother decided to build him a stylish house with a beautiful multi-tiered garden, a tennis court, a swimming pool. They called it Hopar Villa, and it was a play on the two brothers' names. Boon Ho spared no expense for his brother's new home. But the brothers also made a key decision. They'd open the bottom tiers of the garden to the public free of charge. It was a fairly big deal back then because in the 1930s, Singapore was still a British colony. Now, at the time in the 1930s, uh, there were very few public spaces in Singapore for Asians to enjoy. Uh, There were many parks and open places of entertainment, but they were either for the Europeans or built with the Europeans in mind. So the brothers were aware of this, and they decided to open Tiger Balm Garden to the public for free and allow anyone, regardless of race, to visit the park and have a good time. So this was a generous move on the brothers' part, but it was also really smart marketing. They sprinkled statues of tigers and references to Tiger Balm all over the park. And Boon Ho had another aim in mind, too. Boon Ho also wanted to teach traditional values to the younger generation. So at the time, a large proportion of the population was illiterate. So he conveyed traditional values to visitors through the sculptures and dioramas. The park was filled with beautiful, elaborate dioramas representing classics of Chinese literature, like Journey to the West, the saga of a Buddhist monk who travels to Central Asia and India seeking sacred texts. There's also references to Chinese history and religious traditions. Here's Savita again. And you will find historical figures and events like the Chinese opium war hero uh, known as Commissioner Lin. You'll also see various depictions of religious teachings such as the Taoist Eight Immortals, the Buddhist epic Journey to the West, gigantic statues of Confucius and Buddha. And they're all done in painstaking and intricate detail. But the ideal of this park didn't last very long because World War II came to Singapore. The brothers fled. The elder, Boon Ho, went to Hong Kong and the younger brother, Boon Par, went back to Burma. The villa they left behind was occupied by Japanese forces. And Boon Par never returned to the beautiful home that his brother had built for him. He died in Rangoon in 1944. When the war was over, Boon Ho did return to Singapore. Maybe out of grief for his brother, he ordered the villa be fully torn down. And at the same time, he worked to restore the garden and its fantastical statues. And he started adding new ones. But tragedy would visit Boon Ho once again. In 1951, the heir to the family fortune, who was Boon Ho's eldest son, he died in a plane crash. And there's actually a memorial dedicated to him in the park. It's hard to say whether it was because of all this loss or just because he was getting older, but the statues Boon Ho added around this time, they got a lot 
hmm, darker in style. One diorama was called Virtues and Vices, and on the lower section of this enormous display, people are shown engaged in all kinds of sins, from drinking alcohol to cabaret dancing to scenes of nightlife in Shanghai. Meanwhile, on the upper level, there are depictions of people in a community working together, building bridges and schools. But this is when he added another diorama, showing people answering for their behavior in the afterlife. This would become the park's most infamous attraction, the Ten Courts. Of hell. The Ten Courts of Hell is a dark tunnel-like structure filled with severe-looking judges, uh, scary hell guards, and gory punishments. Uh, sinners are decapitated, they have their intestines pulled out, they are tossed into a pool of blood, and so on and so forth. It's on one hand quite repulsive, but on the other hand very strangely attractive. Punishments for all kinds of transgressions are shown in absolutely gruesome detail. Dodge your taxes, you are getting pounded to death with a mallet. Wasting food, sawn in half. Disrespect your elders, your heart is being cut out of your body. My guess is that Boon Ho perhaps was contemplating his demise at the time, uh, and he wanted to leave uh, a permanent, uh, a lasting message to the masses about the consequences of doing good and doing bad. And so on one hand, there's the virtues and vices, which shows what happens to you uh, in, uh, in, in, in your life, in your lifetime. Uh, and the 10 courts of hell shows you what happens to you in the afterlife, after you die. Towards the end of uh, his life, I think Boon Ho was very cognizant of the fact that, you know, at the end of the day, what do you leave behind? You've got to leave a legacy of having done something good. The 10 courts of hell were completed in the last few years before Boon Ho's death, and he died in 1954. Now, visitors to the park may have been a little scared, or as Savita told us, mildly traumatized, by these gruesome scenes of the Ten Courts. But it didn't make people turn away from them. If anything, people loved these dioramas. The Ten Courts became the park's main attraction— Savita told us later that whenever her family had visitors from out of town, they would take them to Hopar Villa because it was the place to go in Singapore. And the park kept on growing and changing. After Bunho's death, Hopar Villa was inherited by his nephew, O Ching Chai. And O Ching Chai was also traveling all around the world to market Tiger Balm. And when he returned, he started adding dioramas showing the places he'd been. There were scenes from Australia, Italy, Greece. There's even a big replica of the Statue of Liberty. In the 1960s, Singapore was newly independent, but many Singaporeans hadn't traveled much outside of Southeast Asia. So these new displays, they made people really curious about the world. It definitely was uh, an eye-opener for many Singaporeans, and that drew even more visitors to the park. This was perhaps the golden age of Hopar Villa. And it's said that during its heyday, the park drew around a million visitors a year. And Ocheng Chai built on the legacy of his father and his uncle. But in 1971, he died too. And he was only in his late 40s. Hopar Villa continued to be run by the family until the mid-1980s. But by then, much of the family had moved away to Hong Kong. And so they decided to bequeath their sculpture garden to the state. And... That's when the park began to change. It was turned into something more like an actual theme park and renamed Hopar Villa Dragon World. 
The new owners put in a water ride that cut straight through the park's main attraction, the Ten Courts of Hell. That is what Eisentejo remembers the most from his visit to the park as a kid in the mid-90s. And I remember getting quite wet because of the splash, uh, because it really upset me at the time. Yeah, I remember the ride more than the, the sculptures and the dioramas in the Ten Courts of Hell. What's more, they also started charging admission for the first time. And unsurprisingly, locals stopped coming, and the park's popularity declined. But today, Savita and Aizen hope that it will see a revival. The company currently operating the park is restoring statues, adding more historical context, and the water rides are gone. Instead, they've hosted concerts and art events, and they're even working on introducing a kind of glamping experience in the park. They believe that Hope Har Villa's incredible visuals still have a lot to offer a curious visitor. Though, to be honest, today the value might be less moral and more social. The park is extremely Instagram-worthy, and uh, I think a quick check on the internet will prove how Instagram-worthy Hopa Villa is. If you come to the park today, you'll see the old tiger statues, the classic heroes, and the Ten Courts of Hell. You'll even find that big Statue of Liberty. But you'll also see some new additions. As a companion to the Ten Courts of Hell, they'll be opening a museum, a hell museum about how different philosophies and religions around the world deal with the concepts of death and the afterlife. In the spirit of the brothers, admission to Hope Har Villa is once again free of charge. The park's new Hell Museum opened its doors at the end of October. Special thanks to Savita Koshyap and Aizen Teo for telling us the story of Hope Har Villa. Our podcast is a co-production of Atlas Obscura and Witness Docs. This episode was produced by Amanda McGowan. The production team includes Doug Baldinger, Chris Naka, Camille Stanley, Willis Ryder Arnold, Sarah Wyman, Manolo Morales, Tracy Samuelson, John Delore, Peter Clowney. Our technical director is Casey Holford. This episode was mixed by Luce Fleming. Our theme and end credit music is by Sam Tyndall, and I'm Dylan Thuris, wishing you all the wonder in the world. Talk to you soon. Witness Docs from Stitcher. Whether you're a morning person or a bedtime procrastinator, everyone deserves a mattress that works for their style. And you'll find the best mattress for you at Ashley. The new Temper Adapt Collection at Ashley brings you one-of-a-kind body-conforming technology, making every sleep tailored to be your best. The collection also features cool-to-the-touch covers and motion absorption to help minimize sleep disruptions from partners, pets, or kids. Shop the all-new Temper Adapt Collection at Ashley in-store or online at ashley.com. Ashley, for the love of home. At Radiolab, we love nothing more than nerding out about science, neuroscience, chemistry. But, but we do also like to get into other kinds of stories. Stories about policing or politics, country music, hockey, sex. Of bugs. <laughs> Regardless of whether we're looking at science or not science, we bring a rigorous curiosity to get you the answers. And hopefully make you see the world anew. Radio Lab adventures on the edge of what we think we know. Wherever you get your podcasts.